I have entitled today's sermon, Know Yourself. Uh, Today's sermon is a sermon that I don't have a complete grasp on. I say that to say that the sermon is about pride and humility. I'm pretty good at one of those. You can figure out which one. I think we're all pretty natural at one of those. But the other one takes work. The other one takes strategic recognition in our mind of who we are and who God is. I think we never overcome it in this life, but the only way to minimize it is to truly know yourself. If you don't know yourself and you don't know God, then you can't love God appropriately and you can't love others appropriately. So two of our mottos in student life of loving God and loving others is predicated on the fact of knowing ourselves, of having a humility about who we are and understanding the sovereignty and the greatness of the God that we serve. If you're trying to live this life as though you are in charge of everything, if you think this life is all about you and you are the center of the known universe, then your life is gonna be an absolute mess because that self-centeredness leads to all sorts of sin issues. It leads to issues of selfishness. It leads to issues of idolatry. It leads to issues of trying to be in control of everything. And trying to control everything in a world that you have no control over leads to anxiety, to stress, to failure, and to depression. So perhaps the root cause of some of your other issues is the fact that you truly haven't understood who you are, or for me, who I am in this world, and who God is. And so today we're going to look at several different verses through the book of Proverbs. And through these verses, I think what we're going to realize is that we should be very humble because we really can't control anything that happens in this life. But God deserves all of our worship because he is a glorious, great, and sovereign God in control of all things. I think what it boils down to is this, that pride and sin... Both have I in the middle of it. If you look at the word pride and you look at the word sin, you both have I in the middle of it. When you live life as though it's all about you or all about me, it's all about the I, then you're going to end up resulting in sin issues. You're going to end up resulting in pride issues. So we're going to read through, I don't know what many I have, 15 verses here, I think, from the screen through the book of Proverbs that deal with the issues of pride and humility. So out of the honor for the reading of the word of God, would you stand and read with me along on the screens as I read these verses for us this morning. Proverbs 3.34 says, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Proverbs 22, 4. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. 
Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Dear Lord, I pray today as we consider your word that you would help us to think about our own pridefulness, our own sinfulness, and Lord, help us to pursue humility before you and after you as the way of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, and you may be seated. To look at these verses and break this down, I want the outline to go in this way. We're first going to look at a description of pride, then we're going to look at the devastation of pride, and then finally how to decrease pride. A description of pride, then the devastation, then how to decrease. We start with a description of pride. When you look at a description of pride, Proverbs 11.2 tells us that when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. This word for pride used in Proverbs 11.2 comes from a root that suggests a boiling up. If you've ever put a pot on the stove and you've heated the water temperature because you're cooking chicken broth or because you're boiling rice or whatever you may be doing at the time and you've seen that water begin to boil and it begins to to start rumbling at first throughout the pot and then all of a sudden those bubbles continue to get bigger and bigger and it's really nothing more than hot air but it grows bigger and bigger and bigger until it would bleed up over the edge of the side of the pot and this is what pridefulness is described as in our own life. When pride comes, when that bubbling up inside of us, and you can actually grow to the point where you start to sense it, you start to feel it when that pride happens, you start to throw your shoulders back a little bit, you start to get a little bit of a swagger about you, your chest bows out just a little bit, at least for the guys in the room, that's what happens to us, and we we start talking about how great we are, and often we think that's attractive to other people, but you all know. When you see somebody that starts acting with that arrogant pridefulness, that bowling up, it really repulses us. We really look at that and we think, come on, dude, stop. That's, that's not attractive. In fact, oftentimes we'll see it and be so grossed out by it that we then say, I've got to put him in his place. And so we then think we are in the place of God and we start talking about how great we are compared to how foolish this other person is. And our own pride boils up in an effort to correct another brother's sinfulness. When pride comes, it's an arrogant boiling up. It's a selfishness of wanting to have things your way. The word humble actually in this verse 11.2 is a rare word. It's found only here and then it's found as a verb and a verse that you might be familiar with. Micah 6.8, walk humbly with thy God. The description of pride is the bubbling up. The description of humility is one that is not exalting, but it is one where we we bow down. We humble ourselves before God. We walk humbly recognizing we don't have all the answers. We are not self-sufficient in and of ourselves. Proverbs 21, 24 describes this as well. It says, scoffer is the name of the arrogant. Scoffer is pride to the extreme. The scoffer is the man who is arrogant and haughty, as it describes here. The arrogant is a person who has an exaggerated sense of his or her own abilities. You think more of yourself than you should. You don't know yourself very well. I see this often in little kids. I I love talking to little kids because they'll tell you exactly what they think. 
And, and if you hang out with like three-year-olds, you can just have a whole lot of fun. I mean, it's really just funny just asking them questions and letting them respond back to you. And, and they think they're the best at everything in life, right? It doesn't matter what they do. They're the absolute best at it. And as a three-year-old, it's really cute. As a three-year-old, when they tell you they're the fastest human on the face of the planet and watch how fast they can run, it's really cute and you laugh and you smile. But when you're an 18 or a 22 or a 44-year-old and you're still telling people you're the fastest human on the planet when you're obviously not, it's no longer cute. It's actually disgraceful at that point in time. The things that we do as three-year-olds should not be the things that we do as mature Christian followers of Christ. The word haughty, absorbed in self. You've lost all perspective and you overestimate your worth. This world cannot get along without you. You are a central, important piece of the entire universe that holds it all together. And we know we're not. You wanna know how important you are? I had a mentor once told me, take your hand, stick it in a bucket of water. When you pull your hand out of that bucket of water, the amount of time it takes for the water to cover up where your hand was is how important you are. You can go try that if you would like. This word haughty is also described elsewhere in Habakkuk 2.5. It says, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. In other words, this haughty person has greed. There's never enough for him because it's all about him or her. More, 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 I want more, never satisfied. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. He is proud. The word describes one who is callous and careless towards the rights and needs of others. You think about pride, it has I at the center of it. When I'm being prideful, I don't care about you. I don't wanna know about your stories. I don't wanna know about what you've done. I want you to know how great I am. I want to, to make you think more of me so that you put me on a pedestal. And so I talk about myself in such a way that I'm constantly elevating myself, which means I really don't care that much about you. This person rejects God, focuses on a self-determined will, that humbling oneself before God is not an option, it's not needed, I've got this covered. That proud person thinks they know what's best for their life. They intentionally choose the way of folly thinking they know better than God does. And if you're in this room and this describes you, if you're in this room and you are the person who thinks, I, I don't need all this stuff, I've got it all together, My, I wanna plead with you, I wanna plead for your soul that if that's you this morning, then destruction is what's gonna lie as we look at the devastation that comes from pride. Recognize who we are before a holy God. We can't control anything in this life. I couldn't control a plane coming out of Chicago last night. You can't control the weather. Deshaun Watson gets hurt with a knee, a phenomenal athlete. He can't control that. When we get injured, we can't make it better. We can't tell the waves to cease and to be calm. We can't tell the winds to stop. We're at the mercy of all of these things that happen. And that can be really scary, except for this fact, that we have a sovereign God that's in control of it all, that loves us deeply, and knowing who we are frees us up to serve him, to worship him, to love him, and to love others well. If you're all focused about you, you're not gonna care about others. If you're all focused about serving God, you wanna be part of God's plan in others' life, and you wanna serve them, and you're gonna be focused on other people as well. The second word arrogant in this verse is different in the Hebrew than the first. Some actually translate this word as insolent or fury. 
It describes that overflow or excessive outburst of pride. You're not just a scoffer and arrogant and haughty. You, you even burst out with pride. Pride wells up in you so fast that it bursts forth like a geyser exploding from the ground. Proverbs 25, six and seven says, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. It's better to be told come up than to be put in a lower spot. This verse doesn't mention pride, but I think it describes it well. It's the act of self-promotion. It's those thoughts that enter into our mind, not just with seating arrangements around the table because we don't do that very much anymore, but it's thinking in our mind, I deserve something that somebody else might get, so I'm gonna promote myself to make sure I get that. That self-promotion, that seeking honor for yourself, that tooting your own horn or singing your own praises because no one else will, American cultural mentality, is what this verse is against. A king has no need for people who have their own agenda to seek their own glory. He needs people who will enact the, the purposes and the principles of the kingdom. King Jesus needs no servants, no Christians, no followers who want to absorb glory for themselves because all glory rightly belongs to Jesus. All glory should be deflected away from us and up towards our heavenly father. In fact, Jesus refers back to this in Luke 14, nine through 11. He's talking about a wedding feast at that particular moment. And he says, don't take the highest spot, but take the lowest spot so that when they come along, they will say to you, move on up, brother, come on up. And then in Luke 14, 11, he concludes this, for everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. You got pride? Prepare to be humbled. He who humbles himself shall be exalted. You don't want to run into that wall of devastation, hit the brakes, and implement humility. Pride promotes self. Now, guys, I'm not very good at this. You can ask my wife. But even when we first met, I felt like she would like me more if I told her how great I was. So I have since learned lessons in life about how stupid I probably looked on many different occasions and about how gracious she was to overlook my prideful stupidity and still hang out with me. And so just, just a word from somebody who cares about you that has blown this repeatedly in life, when you're talking to a girl and all you do is talk about yourself, you're not impressing them. Nobody wants to be around somebody that all they do is talk about themselves. It's much better for you to be interested in somebody else and to engage in a conversation to know what they want, what they like, what they care about, who they are, interested in other people rather than just interested in yourself. So if you're really bad at this, my suggestion would be for you to start having conversations with multiple people so that you can get all that pridefulness out and embarrass yourself a whole bunch before you meet somebody that you really care about. I'm just saying. I may have worded that wrong, but it doesn't matter. It's good advice, right? So go to Chuck's, talk to somebody. And if you haven't asked somebody out on a date this year, ask somebody out on a date. I'm just saying. We, you, you guys know we, this is beside. This doesn't matter about the sermon. And I was up way too late last night, so I'm going to say it anyway. We, we make way too big a deal about hanging out with somebody of the opposite sex around here. You guys know that? Yeah. So... You, you, you agree with it, but, but then you make the big deal about it too. The awkward couples and the overheard. And so a good casual conversation with somebody of the opposite, there's nothing wrong with that. And just because you're talking to somebody, Chuck, doesn't mean you're going to get married by spring semester, all right? 
And, and just because you invite somebody to go to a, a great play, because we have great plays, or to a great concert, or to a recital, and you say, hey, I'm going to go to the recital, would you like to go with me? And you show them you have a little culture, doesn't mean you're proposing to them, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying, this is all for free and has nothing to do with the message, so I better <laughs> stop before I get in trouble. All right. I don't even know how to get back on track here. Here's an illustration from the body. When I get up in the morning, the body parts that need attention ache, right? If you twist an ankle, it hurts. It says, that wasn't supposed to happen. Don't do that again. The body parts that are functioning fine never call attention to themselves. So if you're always calling attention to yourself, that means you're the dysfunctional member of the body. Does that make sense? The functional members of the body don't say to me every morning, look at me. They don't send a message to my brain saying, I need your attention. I don't wake up in the morning with my bicep saying, hey, hey. <laughs> they're just there. They don't do anything, right? And so the dysfunction that takes place in our lives as a body when you constantly call attention to yourself. Think about how silly it sounds. Think about how goofy it is. But then let's be real and think about how much we are drawn to do it. Every single time somebody tells a story, I've got a better story. Every single time somebody talks about something, I've got to one-up them. Every single time something happens, I've got something greater that's going on in my life. Somebody shares with me blessings in their life, and then they say to you, how are you doing? And all of a sudden in your mind, I've got to be better than they are. So it doesn't matter what story they told, I've got to one-up them somehow, some way. Pride. That's the description, what happens to us, the devastation of Pride. Proverbs minces no words when it describes what happens. Proverbs 3:34, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Do you want God's favor? Be humble. Do you want to draw God's wrath? Be scornful, be arrogant, be prideful. The Septuagint actually translates this particular text and says, the Lord resists the proud. You'll note from that that James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5 pick up on that and follow it with the Lord resisting the proud but giving grace to the humble. But the Hebrew line is actually even more extreme. It doesn't say that God just resists the humble. It actually indicates an, an active hostility of scorn toward those who are scornful. In other words, if you look at God with prideful arrogance and say to God, I know what's best for my life, that doesn't draw indifference from God. It actually draws anger from God because you are arrogant enough to think that you, the little ant on the ground walking around, looks up to the human and says, I can take you. And to us, we see the little ant and we say, no, you can't. And we step and squish the little ant. And that's what we are when we look at God, the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And yet humility draws God's favor. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Do you want disgrace in your life? Or would you like wisdom? That's the daily choice between pride and humility. Proverbs 16.18 says, pride goes before destruction. It's the devastation of pride. And a haughty spirit before the fall. Not a contrast verse here, but one that says something and then reinforces it with another line. Pride goes before destruction 
and a haughty spirit before the fall. The word for destruction here should be taken seriously. It's the word that indicates the shattering of a bone. It's the breaking, the fracturing, the crushing. So you think of a, of a compound fracture, a shattering of a bone, and that's what happens to those who are prideful, to those who live their life in a pridefulness that pushes God at bay, shields at full strength, Scotty. They're, they're pushing away and they're saying, I've got this covered, that all of a sudden God will squash them and shatter them in order to break them, to humble them so that he then can graciously use them. So if pride is your pathway, devastation is your destination. The text tells us that a haughty spirit comes before a fall. The fall or the tottering or stumbling that leads to a fall is being depicted here. So you think about a person who in their pridefulness, they walk along and and they're walking along. There's a stumbling that takes place. There's a ledge that waits. There's a tottering over the ledge as they continue in their pridefulness. And if you're in here and you're in this room, I would say to you, stop there, push back. Don't go into the pridefulness, back up into humility, into the safe zone of being humble before God, recognizing who we are and who he is. Proverbs 18, 12 says, before destruction, a man's Heart is haughty, it is prideful, it is arrogant, but humility comes before honor. Do you want honor or do you want destruction? These are the steps that get you to the destination that you choose. The truth of this proverb should sound familiar. The first line's almost exactly like Proverbs 16, 18. The second line, almost exactly like Proverbs 15, 33. Proverbs is repetitive for a reason. It's repetitive because it takes a lot to get it through our thick skulls sometimes, especially mine. Proverbs reminds us that pride eventually precedes destruction. One's pride will bring him low, Proverbs 29, 23, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Do you want honor or do you want to be brought low? We all want honor. How do we achieve honor? Be lowly in spirit. That's the great paradox. But one's pride, when we exalt ourselves because we want honor, will be brought low. Shai Lin, who spoke here just a few weeks ago, has a song that addresses this issue. It's entitled, One Day. He talks about how one day every knee will bow before King Jesus. He gives two really compelling examples here. One of those examples is Michael Jordan, who is the best basketball player to ever play the game. Sorry, LeBron fans. All right, now when that gets more applause than King Jesus, we got a problem. Now I'm just saying. Uh, Iron Mike Tyson, anybody know Iron Mike Tyson? All right, he didn't get much applause. He's kind of weird now, but... I'm just being honest. It's in the song. That's why I said it. So we're going to listen to this song. And if you are ebonically challenged, we're going to have the words up on the screen for you so that you can follow along. All right. Yeah. Man, it's crazy how time flies. My mind tries to sit still thinking how does one define wise? Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer, fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder. But as the beat plays, they lose wonder. After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer. Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet. Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet. But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end. To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend. They don't come close to understanding how you can go from most demanded 
to abandon in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped Yeah, what in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sands of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp As he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared the peak of his powers his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour snuff with punches but we must discuss this crushed it just enough to trust his toughness pride brings such a justice you puffed up with smugness you gonna meet buster douglas amazing that which blazed like petro the new craze that made the waves in the metros was praised for days but just a phase like retros and fades like echoes The song goes on and continues to say that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day, that will all take place. Those that we think are the greatest, those that we think are invisible, those that invincible, those that we think can never be beaten, end up suffering to time. It takes its toll on all of us. So we've seen a description, we've seen the devastation, and so now we look at how to decrease pride. Now, I intentionally didn't use other words other than decrease here because I don't think you ever destroy pride in your own life. At least at this point in life, I don't think you do. I'm much older than some of you in the room. I'm not as old as others in the room. So when you come back to Cedarville for your 20th reunion or your 30th reunion, you can ask me at that point if I still hold this opinion. But I don't think we ever get over being prideful. I think pridefulness are like the weeds that grow in the gardens that appear every single year that we have to be constantly vigilant to pull up and to root out. So how do we decrease pride in our life? Proverbs 8:13 says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. The fear of the Lord, the theme of the book of Proverbs. Our theme verse from Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord that brings wisdom. That's the beginning of instruction. The fear of the Lord is mentioned three times in the context of pride and humility in the book of Proverbs. I think that's no mistake. I think when we recognize a true fear of the Lord and a true fear of the Lord, a true faith in Christ recognizes that God is someone before whom we should be in awe, that we should worship, that we should glorify, and we should do so because we recognize how wretched and how sinful and how wicked we are and how we did not deserve the grace and the mercy that God poured out through Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. And recognizing who we are and finding our value and worth not in something inside of us, but in the fact that we're created in the image of God, we are redeemed by our creator for a purpose in this life, that's where we find our purpose and our worth. 
And if we do that, we will hate the things that God hates. We will love the things that God loves. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. We hate, we oppose, we despise, we do not pursue a relationship with. We have a no contact order issued against hatred and pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. We watch what we say. We do not engage as Christian men in locker room talk or in degrading conversations that hurt others. That is not the way of the Christian life. This catches us off guard, if we're honest, and that we don't like to talk about hating anything. Don't be a hater. Don't hate things. In fact, if we were to market things, we would say, no, use, word, use words like love, use words like unify. Things of that nature make us much more comfortable, but the Bible is not intended to make us comfortable. It's intended to tell us the truth, and the truth is we should hate the things that God hates. God hates things which separate us from himself, which destroy others, the lies of the evil ones, and we should hate those things too. But God also hates things that we sometimes are way too comfortable with, like empty religious rituals or the double-minded person or falsehoods coming from our mouth. Specifically in this text, four things that God hates are pride, arrogance, the evil way, and the perverted mouth. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. This verse offering the two similar comparisons, the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Do you want a definition of it? This verse provides a partial description of it in saying it is humility, which comes before honor. Proverbs 22, 4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. This text is a fascinating verse that I would encourage you to study more on your own. This text literally reads, the consequences of humility, the fear of the Lord, riches, honor, life. The and is not there. The verb is not there. It's almost as if there's a definition to say the reward for humility, by the way, humility is fear of the Lord, is riches, honors, and life. Now, we don't like prosperity theology, and rightly so. Throughout the course of the text of Scripture, we see that it does not teach a prosperity theology, but there are truths in Scripture as well that if we follow God's principles and how we live life and how we deal with our money and our finances and things of that nature, then God does tend to bring riches, honor, and life to us. These are good and godly principles that we should not apologize for following. And yet, even as we follow those principles, even as we pursue the wisdom contained in the Bible, we do not take pride in the possessions. We do not seek the possessions, but we seek Jesus. We find our satisfaction in him, and then all things will be added. What does humility look like? I think C.S. Lewis helps us out here. I'm gonna read a quote to you from C.S. Lewis. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, that he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably, all you would think about him is that he seemed cheerful an intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too, 
At least nothing can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. There's a cosmic law of pride and humility. Jesus, God, humbled himself and took on the form of a human and came to this earth and went to the cross, even the death of the cross, to save us from our sins. He came and he said to us, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. He demonstrated those actions with things like washing Peter's dirty feet. He humbled himself and laid down his own life because no man could take it from him and went to a cross and extended his arms and said to Telestai, it is finished. And that's why God has granted him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To be a Christ follower, to be like Jesus, is to voluntarily humble yourself for the sake of others. Jesus humbled himself and he is exalted. Satan... Pride, destruction, diabolos, the lying one, the father of lies, the devil in the garden, at some point in the past, was in heaven and decided he should be God. Rebelled against God Almighty. God looked at the devil and said, not in my lifetime, and cast him out of heaven. A third of the angels went with him. That serpent of old, the deceiver, the liar will be slain and will be chained forever and condemned to a place of torment. The prideful rebeller will one day be humbled. The humble servant, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This cosmic law plays out time and time again. When we grow prideful, we will be humbled. When we humble ourselves, the Lord in his graciousness, not because we are worthy, but just because of his grace and his mercy, tends to exalt those people. So if we want to follow Jesus, we accept the humility that comes with being a Christ follower. When we act in pride, we rebel against the nature of our creator and our savior. So how do we go about making steps to progress in pride? I've got a few thoughts for you. Recognize who you are and who God is. So as you recognize who you are and who God is, think about these things. Number one, all you are and all you have is contingent upon God. I, I didn't speak myself into existence. I had nothing to do with me being here. I can't sustain myself. There's a day that is coming that all of us will die and we will go to ashes if the Lord does not come back and call us to be with him. We can't control those things. So I've got to recognize who I am in my place in this world and recognize who God is and that I'm contingent upon God. So when I do things that are good and when I see things that I actually start to take pride in, I have to do that in the right way. I have to do that in a way that's not a pridefulness in the eye, but in the graciousness of God who allows good things to happen. I have to make sure that glory is going to the right spot. Recognize that you are a sinner who rebelled against the king. That humbles us all. That God, the king, didn't have to come after me to pursue me, to forgive me, to redeem me, to ransom me. For I was a rebel in his kingdom that could have easily been squashed. And yet God in his grace and his mercy pursued me and has adopted me into his family. So that now he hasn't just brought me in, but I'm an heir. I'm a joint heir with Christ. 
Recognize that feeling of pride, that bubbling up, that boiling of the water in your soul as it comes up in your heart and immediately put the lid on the pot. Repent. Ask God to help you not allow your pridefulness to swell you up even further. Recognize that your worth as a person is not on trial. I think sometimes we think in order for me to be somebody, I have to be better than somebody else. But if I have those thoughts, it means I'm judging my value or my worth in relationship to other people. I'm not judging my value or worth in relationship to God and being created in his image and being redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I'm looking at others and thinking, I've got to be better than they are. So I put myself on trial and I begin to argue that I'm better than you. So I have value in this society. I'm better than all these other people. And we do this in many different ways. You look at somebody's social media and they have all these followers and so you can't say I'm better than them because I have more followers. So instead you say, well, they obviously care too much about social media and I don't care nearly as much about it as they do and they should be more like me and not care nearly as much about it. You take anything in life, somebody who dresses really nice looks at somebody who doesn't and they say, boy, I wish they could learn how to dress. They just don't present themselves very well and the person who doesn't dress so well looks at the person that dresses really nice and says, boy, they spend way too much money on their clothes. I wish they could be more frugal like me and spend less money on our clothes. It doesn't matter what it is. Our hearts are very good at being prideful in our perspective of that situation. But you're worse not on trial. If you're in this room and you think you are worthless, that is a lie of the devil. Because your verdict is in. You are declared not guilty because of your union with Christ. You are declared worthy because you are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And no one can take that away from you. Number five, receive all criticism as though there is some truth in it. Now, I realize, and we even see this in the story of David and Goliath, there is criticism that is not just. There is criticism that is just. Saul asked him, how can you wear this armor? You haven't been, or how can you go against Goliath? Because you haven't gone against a man of war. He's been a man of war from his youth. David answers that criticism. The older brother just says, what are you doing here? That's an unjust criticism. But if you look at all criticism and say, can I learn something from this? Can I be slow to speak? Can I be quick to hear? Can I be slow to anger? Can I look at even unfair criticism and say, is there a sliver of truth in it? That requires a humility to listen to others. Have friends in your life that know you well enough and that love you enough to tell you when you're being prideful. And guys, instead of encouraging that locker room talk that we should not be participating in as followers of Christ, Love somebody well enough and know them well enough that when they begin being prideful, you can put your hand on your shoulder and you can say, dude, that sounds really prideful. Don't say that around people that don't know you as well as I do. We all do it. We all have tendencies to do it. It's the weeds that grow in the garden of our spiritual life. And if we don't keep the garden well, the end destination is destruction. So join me in the journey of this life of trying to pursue the way of wisdom and trying to pursue the way of humility. God, we are weak at this. I am weak at this. We are all prone to it. And so God, help us. Help us to recognize who we are and who you are in such a way that we follow Jesus and humble ourselves. 
that, Lord, you would receive the glory for you are the only one deserving of it. Help us not to walk in the way of pride. Help us not to walk in the way of folly, but help us to walk in the way of wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, and you are dismissed.